0: Let's go ahead and stand. 2 Kings chapter 5 tonight. 2 Kings chapter 5, a familiar story from the Old Testament that I think can be a help and encouragement to us this evening. I titled this message, A Man with Two Diseases. A Man with Two Diseases. 2 Kings chapter 5, I think we'll read about the first 14 verses or so. Now Naaman... Captain of the host of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, and this caveat, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, "Would God my lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy." And one went in and told his lord, saying, "Thus and thus said the maid that is is the hand or is the land of Israel." And the king of Syria said, "Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel." And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold, and ten changes of raiment." Now, all this is provided by the king for Naaman to make this visit to Israel to see this prophet. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, "'Now when this letter is coming to thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy.'" Can you imagine me, the king receiving this letter? Like what? You know, what do you want me to do for this man? And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make a lie that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Like he has no idea what's happening here. And, and he, he's thinking this is maybe a pretext for war, some kind of offense here. Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And verse 8, And it was so when Elisha, The man of God, the man who could do something about this, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me. Like, why didn't you think about this initially to send him to me? And he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying... Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again. Like <laughs> That's it. Elisha doesn't show up. Uh, this servant comes out and delivers this message, and Naaman didn't like it. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of his Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. He was looking for something big and dramatic. Are not Arbana? and pay rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And a servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, would thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like into the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Our Heavenly Father, I pray you'd help us tonight as we consider this story. That Lord, as we would maybe see this disease that plagued uh, this man of God, uh, I, I believe he was saved in time, Naaman, that, that Lord, we would purge it as well. That Lord, we would wash and make ourselves clean. And I ask for your help with this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for standing. The New Testament informs us that the Old Testament stories preserved for us in the Word of God are there for us to learn from. Um, they are there to teach us principles and precepts and truths that we can apply to our life. There are things in this text that God wants us to obviously consider. There are things that God wants us in this story to know about Him. And there is something in the story that God wants us to know about ourselves. The Word of God is like a mirror. Um, as we look into its pages and read its words, uh, we are to see a truth there. And that truth is often about us. It's like a mirror. We see to the side of who God is. But, but then like this mirror, we're to look into it and say, this is what's wrong with us and this is what maybe is right with us. And we are to make these corrections in our life. Sorry, that dust is catching up with me tonight. And I started speaking, and I found it. And so we're supposed to learn from it. And as we see ourselves, and not just the good, but the bad, we are to make corrections. We're in the story of Naaman the Syrian, we are introduced to what the Bible calls a great man. I believe that when the Bible lends commentary on the character of a man, it's not in hyperbole, it's not there for any dramatic effect. I believe that as God's assessment of this man. And evidently God saw this man in that way that he was in the way the word great might imply in stature, maybe in nobility in character that Naaman was truly a great man. He was a captain and to reach that station in the Syrian army would have been quite an accomplishment. He was in a lofty position that would have demanded respect and esteem. He was a man loved by his king and that says a lot. Um, He was someone who endeared himself to leadership, and not just leadership, but but the people as well. He was respected by the king and the nation. He was courageous. The Bible says he was a man of honor, and he was a protector of the nation of Syria. And this litany of accolades, but what's said about Naaman, and what we remember is he was a leper, and that's the addendum to his life. Naaman the leper. And That's what he was. He was a man taken by an incurable and progressive disease. Um, leprosy still exists in the world today and it is a disease that attacks the, the body and the flesh and decimates it in time. And some uh, time finality, it, it takes our life. And his plight was felt by him obviously and because people would have felt unsafe around Naaman and that would have created a stigma. But because he was loved, other people had empathy, and they felt his plight as well. Well, in time, um, a little servant girl heard this story of Naaman, and she had sympathy on him as well. And she was a servant to his wife. She was a young Jewish girl taken by the Syrian army. At this time, Israel was probably a little bit subservient to Syria, who was the greater world power. And that's why um, the thing falls out in the story like it does. And so she was taken in a raid of these villages, and she was a servant to Naaman's wife. And she knew, though, she was old enough to know that there was a servant, a man of God in Israel, who had power with God and who could perform mighty miracles. And so she told uh, this lady about that. And in time, this message reached the ears of the king. When the king heard this story, because he loved Naaman so much, he uh, called him into his royal court. And he says, I'm going to send you to Syria. And he provided all these uh, provisions, this wealth, if you will, to pay to the king. That's where he thought, you know, this the great man was. And to give to the king so he may receive his healing. He was being very magnanimous uh, towards Naaman. And so, Naaman, not knowing who he was supposed to see in particular, he is sent and he goes to the king of Israel. Now, as I've already mentioned, uh, just imagine being the king and he hears this request by an officer in the army of a nation that had recently conquered them in part. And he he just can't believe what's happening. He he thinks something here is going on. is political. This is some kind of pretext for war. Uh, he's trying to set something up where he's you know there, there's some offense, and this gives them greater justification for coming and doing battle with us again. It, it can be argued that he was being faithless. That he should have immediately known to send this man to Elisha uh, for help and healing, but he did not, and he was just aggravated and scared. But Elisha heard about. This convoy that came to Israel, Samaria, and about this captain named Naaman who'd come for healing. He sends a letter and chides the king for his poor faith and not thinking of Elisha and sending this man to him. And so the king circumnavigates things and sends him very quickly on his way to Elisha, the man of God you know, the way the Lord exposes our sins is fascinating and interesting, and I'm sure that's what was in mind here. Of course, a lesson for for this man, Naaman, and a lesson preserved in history for us as well. But as it would happen, Elisha sends out a servant, Gehazi, and he goes out with instructions to Naaman. And here we're at the probably pretty modest house, and Naaman maybe wondering, what in the world are we doing here? And all of a sudden, he's, you know, somebody comes to the house and says, Naaman's here for healing. And the prophet doesn't show. And this man walks out, a servant, and says, my master said, go to the Jordan and dip in it seven times. Well, this is where the second disease of Naaman shows itself. The first disease is obvious, isn't it? Um, It's leprosy. Now tonight, I don't think anyone here is suffering from that disease. But I know this, the root of the second one lives in all of our hearts. And there's not a person here who's free from the fruit and the demise and the destruction that this disease can wreak in our, in our heart, and that is the sin of pride. It's simply the sin of pride. And Naaman was a great man, he was a good man, he, he was beloved, but he was a man. And in his heart, all of a sudden, he was, he's, he's insulted. He's insulted by having to go to Samaria, a uh, you know, subservient country. He's insulted by going to the king and the king not having a clue what's supposed to happen he's probably a little bit insulted. He's got to go to some little podunk village out in the countryside. And he's insulted most of all by a servant coming out and asking him to do something so simple and silly in his mind as dunking himself in a river. Um, if you've been to the Jordan River, it's not very impressive. Um, in some places, you kind of surprise; it's even called a river. It looks more like a creek, and I know it can overflow and flood, but it's not impressive. And it probably wasn't hyperbole when he said, "There's rivers cleaner over here in, uh, you know, Samaria than here." And he was he was unhappy by this, and he makes it very clear what he wanted to happen. Is because of his uh, station in life. He wanted the man of God to come out, you know, kind of like in Elijah kind of moment and call the, you know, the fire and lightning down from heaven and make a big show and, you know, the sky to turn colors and all of a sudden, kaboom, and he was healed and everyone applauded and thought how cool. Or maybe he even wanted to be asked something hard, to climb a mountain, to prove his strength, his mettle, you know, his character in some way, but none of that. It was just, hey, go to this dirty river and dunk in it seven times. And pride now is imperiling his life every bit as much as the leprosy. At this point, matter of fact, leprosy is not even the greatest danger lurking in his physical body. It is the pride. It was the insult that he felt. It was the personal offense. He took the fact that Elisha did not come out and perform some kind of spectacular ritual to recover from his disease. His thought was, doesn't this man know who I am? added insult to injury. His instruction was to dip in the muddy waters of Jordan. So in a rage, the Bible says, in great pride, he was offended. And in this moment, there's no place for humility in his heart. This great man unveiled, unveiled a weakness that threatens every single one of us and probably displayed in some way in the past week or two. And that again is the disease of pride. But wisely seeing the opportunity for his master to recover, and the fact that he was about to forfeit this potential for healing, um, the captain's servant thought, We can't, we can't leave here this way. So this is this is quite interesting. We may not think much about it, but in these cultures, for an inferior to maybe uh, question a superior was not something that was done, but this man takes the risk, and maybe numbers of them do, it says servants. And he, and he goes and he challenges the captain's mentality, his attitude. By the way, have you ever been challenged by your attitude before? Most of us don't like that. And most of us don't respond really well when someone challenges our attitude. But the the servant got to the root of his second disease. He said, uh, Master, Captain, he said, "if, if the servant or the man of God would have bade you do some great thing, you would have done it. If he'd asked you something that appealed to your pride, if he'd, if he'd asked you something that made you feel like a big man, that made you feel important, you would have done that big thing. But because they're asking you to do something that makes you feel humbled, you won't do it. Is that spirit really worth losing the opportunity to be cleansed of your leprosy? And here's something, and now we've got to go back, because... In this man's, you know, he's human, but what is said of him is true. He was a great man. And he thought better of it, the text says, and he humbled himself. And there's a lot of words I use for humble. He became teachable. He became meek. There's a lot of words here, but he, he changed his disposition and he followed the instructions of the servant of Elisha and he went down to the Jordan and verse indicates that he was... Um, if we we read on, not only was he physically healed, but most likely he was spiritually healed as well. And though pride lurks in our heart, there is resolve and grace given to humble ourselves and find strength when we do that. And so a couple thoughts here very quickly tonight um, as we look into the story. And the first thought is this, even the best and strongest of people even the most noble um, are vulnerable to the principles of this world. Here's what I mean by that. Naaman was a man of many accomplishments, of great accolade. He gave his life uh, to a career, and that career had noble pursuit, it protected the nation, um, it, it it inspired others. He gave his life to that. He was a man of character and virtue. This litany of things he did, but despite all the hard work he put in, he was most known for his ailment being a leper. The truth is, we have no real ability in this life to insulate ourselves from harm and injury. You know, this last week we're um, just going about our life, and all of a sudden, I, you know, a pretty unpredicted storm comes up, and all of a sudden, the city of Tulsa, and not just the city of Tulsa. It's, we, we just learn about the, the mightiness of God in a moment, don't we? And uh, we think we're safe one day and all of a sudden, you know, our world can be turned upside down. You, we can, and, and I'm all for this, we can eat healthy, and we can exercise, we can do all the right things. And all of a sudden, because of some genetic predisposition of our humanity and our fallen nature, we find ourselves with some disease that we thought we could have prevented and we can't we just cannot completely insulate and isolate ourselves from the hurts of this world. Tragedies, as I mentioned this morning, will often find their ways into our lives. Now, yes, we certainly can prevent a lot of harm in our lives by the way we live and the way we, we conduct ourselves. I think we can um, bring about a preferable destiny to our life in many ways by wise choices, but even Paul what we often call the greatest Christian of all time, knew the sting of suffering and pain. He knew about physical ailment. To the degree he asked the Lord three times that it be resolved, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And if it were not for a girl, a little child, pointing Naaman to a source of help, Naaman would have had no hope, would have suffered the fate of this incurable disease and would have died in it. But here's the thing, Uh, while you and I can't always isolate ourselves from all the injuries of life, we do know now who to go to when these things strike our life. You know, for, for Naaman, it wasn't so intuitive and quick to know to go to the man of God, to go to the Lord, although he learned that time he could trust God with his problems. You and I know that when life and tragedy hits us in a negative way, that we are to take, as Peter would say again this morning, to cast our cares upon the Lord, for He cares for us. The spiritual lesson is this. There are some things in life, like our sin, that we cannot cure ourselves. There are some ailments we have sometimes, like the pride that we must lay at at the altar of the Lord. There are some things we cannot do that only God can do for us. And if we go through life in pride and self-sufficiency, trying to always handle things ourselves, we're always going to be wanting some greater cure that God could provide. Um, We desperately need to learn to go to the Lord. The second thought is this, it is often the things on the inside and not things on the outside that keep us from the greatest life. It's true that Naaman was a leper and uh, leprosy in part stood between him and the life he wanted to maybe enjoy. Um, the leprosy brought physical frailty in a way. Leprosy brought a stigma probably more than anything else in terms of limitation. There's a life that Naaman probably thought. He was probably thinking, man, I've reached this station of being captain. I have the, I have the king's favor. Uh, the people, you know, they like me. I, I have this life I'm going to live. It's going to be a great life. And all of a sudden in a moment, boom, the world changes for him. And he was thinking what really is going to limit me in life is my circumstances, my physical condition. You and I can fill in the blank there. We're always thinking, well, if I had this and I had that, if life would be different here, I, I would be a happier, better person. Everything would be different. I'm here to tell you that's not always true. What almost always keeps us from the life we really could enjoy the most is what's found on the inside of us not on the circumstances around us on the outside of us. What was really limiting Naaman the most in the text was not his leprosy, but it was his pride. Naaman felt slighted, offended. He wanted more attention. He thought he'd feel better about himself in life if this was lavished upon him. He wanted to have to require some kind of heroics to feel good about himself. But what God wanted to teach, Naaman was a lesson, is that with humility comes exaltation with humility comes a better life. When we become teachable, when you and I are willing to listen and learn and humble ourselves. You know, when we come to church on Sundays and on Wednesdays. Um, you know, sometimes we want to hear a big story and hear some great biblical truth. And, you know, we, we want to be inspired with some maybe heretofore not known principle. You know, we, 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 want to do, we want to mark our Bibles up and make all these notes. And I'm not against some of that. But you know what God really may want for us after any given message is to humble ourselves, is to truly change. You know, I don't line up with that, and I need to fix that. You know, I've got a temper. Um, I have pride. Um, Here's a moral category of my life that I I need to get in check. Here's an area of temperance that I don't have complete control of. You know, I'm struggling with this area, but I've not surrendered it to God. What God may want most from us is not to know three more things that we didn't know before, but for us to do the business with the one that we do know. To bow our heads and hearts and get them right before the Lord. It would not be name and station, power or position that really kept him from what he wanted. What was keeping him from a better life was a heart that was good and humble. And the same is true when you and I um, let our lives be filled with pride. When our lives is filled with bitterness and strife, it's not the circumstances we're complaining about that are really keeping us from a better life. It's the way that we navigate around them. It's the complaining, the, the, the critical spirit we have. It's the negativity. It's so easy for us in our humanity to believe, hey, life's external. Um, if, if I had this, if I had that, we think a better life is in having and doing, but the better life is really in becoming. It's, it's not all about health and wealth. It's about having health and wealth in our hearts in a greater way. Pride especially keeps us from experiencing a happier life. There's so many people I've met whose, whose hearts are hard. They're unrepentant. They are bitter. They are sad. We let offenses and bitterness and anger and expectations rule our world. Emotions play the greater role of servant than anything else. We hold on to things on the inside that hold us prisoner there for a lifetime. There's a simple truth in the text. When we go to God, He can give us all we need if we humbly embrace it to have the life that is truly best in this world. We just need to learn to go to the Lord. And then number three tonight. I have four in case you're wondering. The blessed life is found quite honestly in doing the small things well and not always the big things. No doubt there are some big events in life that can add to the adventure of life, and and, and that would be okay. But honestly, the greatest, richest, deepest joys in life are found in doing the small things. The chief among them is simply obeying this book doing what God has asked us to do. It may not always seem great big. It may not always seem noble. Uh, we, we can often complain like Naaman, give me some great big thing to do. But I, but I think great joy can be found in doing the little things. Just being right and doing right. Um, joy comes with being right with other people. Joy in a blessed life comes to being faithful in God. I think in being faithful to church and, and establishing fellowship and friendship here, enjoying our family, and making small contributions that add up over a lifetime, those things can change the heart and change the world. Quietly plotting and serving and following God, I think is one of the greatest joys in life. And then number four, and I'll finish with this one. I, I think one of the things that we need to be to overcome our pride and be more humble, as the text would encourage us to be is uh, be teachable. Be teachable. Um, No one in this room is past being teachable. I find this fascinating. In the book of Hebrews, there's something said about Moses that I find fascinating. Now, we think about a lot of great things about the life of Moses, but the Bible says this, is that Moses was the meekest of men. Look it up, Strong's Concordance. Um, The connotation of that word is he is the most teachable of men. And you think about that. (laughs) Moses was a little stubborn at times. But when corrected, he always got things right. Uh, It was his uh, tenacity that got things done that could sometimes come to stubbornness. But when push came to shove before the Lord, this man was eminently teachable. Can I tell you, that the happiest people, the most accomplished people, the happiest marriages, uh, the happiest teenagers are those who are teachable, those who are willing to learn. To me, the greatest thing we can learn from Naaman is the value of being corrected and uh, not being upset about it. When a man hardens his neck, the Bible says, when he's unreproachable, when he cannot be Instructed. When a sermon and preaching and the reading of God's Word stops affecting our heart. When when somebody challenges your thinking or challenges your your behavior and you will not be corrected. When you're going to counseling and, and, and you refuse to listen to the possibility that maybe there's a little bit of fault in you and that you could do something different and better. When we stop being able to have the humility to receive correction and be teachable we shut ourselves off from the possibility of a greater life, a future happiness. Being teachable is eminently important. The sin and pride that dwells in all of us will ever be present. Um, There'll be many maladies in life that are not curable, but we should not be held in the power of pride. That does not mean because it's present, it has to rule us. It doesn't have to hold us to this power through grace and conviction of the Holy Spirit and God's Word, we can overcome this disease in our hearts. If we're willing to grow, if we're willing to be teachable, if we're willing to do small things, if we're willing to live without all the recognition we may want, we know this captain was teachable because he was willing to listen to reproof. He swallowed his pride. There may not always be a cure in Jordan, for all of our diseases, but there is always a cure for what else on the inside in this book and in our hearts by the grace of God. And tonight, if you see a place where pride is playing a larger role in your life than it should, then I'm gonna ask you to be meek and teachable and humble and ask God to help you with that this evening. So let me ask you to stand tonight if you would.